0: To this week's installment of the Dirty Chat podcast, with me, your host, Chio, the podcast where we focus on professional and personal success by growing and developing the common denominator to all your successes, all your failures, and everything in between. It's about the mindset, emotional regulation, and the intentional personal development that underpins holistic success. Today's installment is a coffee date between you and I, where we just chat. And it's come about because I am in the depths of making a a big decision in my life and moving around some things in my life. And every time I'm in a place like this, my anxiety levels are high. I'm trying to process. I'm trying to figure out what to do. I'm trying to make the best possible decision with the information that I have on hand. And when I come to this place, I tend to seek seek tools from people who've already done this. I tend to look for information that will place me in the best possible position to make the best possible decision that I can make. And when I do that, sometimes I come across ideas that I wish somebody had shared with me earlier in life. Or I come across ideas that I think, oh goodness, I should share these on the podcast. Although one of those ideas does not amount to a full episode. Over time, I pick up a few of these and I think maybe... Let me just bunch them together and let me share them. And let's see if we can make an episode out of it. And that's how we have come to today's installment. And I struggled with what to name it because there are a few ideas involved from a few places. But I've settled on the wealth blueprint because wealth is so much more than just money. Wealth is how your brain works. Money is a fruit of how your brain works. Money comes from having a wealth blueprint in your brain. It comes from the ability to look at the same set of circumstances that somebody else is looking at and come up with a completely different way of doing things or a completely different angle of looking at it or come up with a completely different way of applying it. And that's what a wealth blueprint means to me. So let me tell you some of the ideas that I've come across that are wealth Blueprint Worthy. The first ones are from a chat between Stephen Bartlett and Mel Robbins on Mel Robbins um, podcast. You should follow it. I mean, she's I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about her interview style. This is it's I've only just started listening to it. But after I, I had that little reservation at the beginning, where I thought, oh, I'm not I'm not crazy about her interview style. And my immediate answer to myself was, and that's what's going to stop you from listening to what she has to say. And that's what's going to stop you from listening to the conversation that she and Stephen Bartlett, who are both leaders in their field, have to say, really? (laughs) And I'm really glad that I powered through that because that conversation, I listened to it. I'm I'm doing 75 hard. As you know, I keep saying it. So I do two 45 uh, minute workouts a day. So I started listening to this episode in workout number one, and I ended up playing it on repeat for most of the morning because the ideas were just so wonderful and so thought uh, provoking for me, which is what I want. That's what my brain thrives on. And it turns out me not liking her interview style so much had absolutely nothing to do with the quality of the value that I took away from her podcast. So let's get into the first idea. Something Stephen said in his description of his upbringing took me way back to 2008. In 2008, I was in my final year of university. And my mom, who worked as a nurse and who was moonlighting, hurt her legs. She had a freak accident and she hurt her legs and she no longer had an income. And many things happened all at once. And I ended up in the U.S., working or looking for a job at that time, um, looking for a job and trying to find something that would take care of me and my family, <laughs> that would take care of my family and I is the correct English. Um, and I was really struggling with this new responsibility. I'm a firstborn daughter and my my mom had nobody else to turn to. Her siblings wouldn't be able to assist Um, and I was the child who had been sent to school. I mean, I had barely graduated, and it was a very tough very tough market, and I was just trying to figure out what to do, Um, and there was a lot going on. I had never had exposure to reality TV show. I was staying with my friend, Rudo, in the US. She had generously offered that I could um, temporarily stay with her while I figured out my, my life. I was in Texas, and I switched on the TV, and the, my first experience of a reality TV show was something called From G's to Gents. I immediately understood that it was Bubblegum TV. I mean, I wasn't supposed to to get any prof- anything profound from it, but I did. From G's to Gents was a reality TV show created by Jamie Fox that starred Fawnsworth Bentley. I know very little about pop culture, but I knew Fawnsworth Bentley because. He had, he was a a butler to a famous hip hop artist and he had appeared in a couple of popular music videos and he had, they had then created this TV show where he, he would, uh, he would mentor misdirected young men who were willing to change their lives and to become gentlemen. So that's what from G's to gents meant from gangsters to gentlemen. And, Watching this episode, I don't know if it was the first or the last episode. I, I couldn't tell you now. There was just too much going on. But I remember one guy who said, who had said he wanted to change his life and who had joined the program, right? And he's on the show and they were allowed to make contact with family and, and um, people from home. And his mom phoned him alongside his son and his sister. He had been making money by selling drugs. And because he had joined this program, he had stopped selling those drugs and he was now trying to better himself so that he could go back and he could get a job outside or that was legal, not a, not a criminal endeavor. And his mom and his sister uh, and his son, they phone, it's his mom who did most of the talking, and she went on and on about how his choice to do this had damned them all and now what must they do there was nothing else there was nothing to eat they would have to leave the house they were staying at they would have to go to a shelter all this because he had decided to give up making money the way he was making money and he had let everybody down and they were there it was so sad it was so miserable he and this man who was a gangster by any description Um, He he was a man's man, a gangster's gangster. To my very young eyes, he was very tall, um, far taller than the presenter who was not a small man. He was very broad. He was covered in tattoos. And he broke down crying, listening to his mother plead for him to leave this thing that he had chosen to do and come back and do what he had always done because his family needed him. And so Farnsworth sits down with him and this guy, he goes, he, first he goes to his room, he cries intensely, he squares his jaw, you know, makes up his mind and he goes to sit down with Farnsworth and he explains that he'll be leaving, that he has a duty to his family and that he has things that he has to do for them. And after he has finished explaining all of this, Farnsworth said something to him that has remained with me since then it has been the cornerstone of every decision I have made. Isn't that wild? I've read 10,000 books and the cornerstone of every decision I have made comes from a reality TV show (laughs) spoken by a a butler to a hip-hop artist. It's wild. But he then says to him, he, he explains to him what I now call the drowning analogy in my head. He said, if you and everybody else in your family do not know how to swim, And your family says to you, I'm drowning. Your family member says, I'm drowning. Come help me. Come help me. If you wade out into that water, all you do is drown together. That is what happens. But if you first figure out how to swim, if you first develop your skill to swim, then you are able to go in and help each one of them one by one from that place of drowning to a place of safety. But the feelings and the emotions that come when a person that you love is in need of your help are sometimes so overwhelming that you think that you just throw yourself into that situation, that you could just be right next to them, even if you don't know what you're doing and you'll figure it out together. But the truth is the only outcome is that you both drown. The only outcome is that everybody drowns in that scenario. It might be the one that feels good. It might be the one that feels like it fulfills your duty. But truthfully, you need to pick the scenario that allows you to carry everyone to safety, even if it takes a little bit longer. In the circumstances that I was at and in at that time, that advice stopped me from making a lot of rash decisions. I was able to consider and say, okay, yes, this might make me some quick money now, but what does it do for my long-term ability to carry people? What does it do for my long-term ability to go into the water and to carry my mother to shore and to carry my brother to shore and to carry my sister to shore? If I figure this out in the next two months, uh, in that time, I was even approached by by some, some fellow schoolmates who wanted to do something illegal and make a big amount of money. And I remember thinking, what if I have a big job in the future? right? And they say to me, now you need to travel to the US and I've committed a crime in the US and I can no longer go there. What would I even say? How would I even explain it? I just, this thought came back to me last year because my employer actually sent me to the US as an incentive trip. Can you imagine if I had made that foolish decision 10 years ago? The point is, If you are in a situation where you need to help other people, where you have responsibilities, where you need to carry other people to shore, ask yourself if the decisions you are making in helping those people are the equivalent of you, a stronger swimmer, going in to assist a weaker swimmer to get to the shore, or it is an exercise in drowning together. Even though it may feel good, the latter will only result in the death of the dreams of everybody involved and in bitterness and in resentment. But if, even if it feels unpleasant at first, your ability to establish yourself and then go and get the people you need to help and then help them is better in the long run. I was able in that time to work. I worked as a waitress and I worked really hard to put together some money that would tied us through a very difficult time to come back. It finished. I was able to uh, ultimately get a job. And in those beginning stages, when the money finished, my siblings had to go and stay with other people. I had no choice. What would have been better for me was if we were all together. But I knew we would all drown because I had nowhere to live. I had no food. I got by with not eating. But what would my siblings do? I would have had to make a plan. For all we know, I might have ended up... Making some really, really bad choices, just to make sure that everybody ate. But because I was alone, I was able to just go to bed hungry. It took me about two years a year to get a job to get um an apartment that I could rent. I got some help from from some of my other some of the other people I connected with. They were able to assist me, to just set myself up. I finally got myself an apartment, and the first thing I did was to send for my sister. And the next thing I did was to send for my brother. And then we were all able to swim to shore together over the course of the next 10 years. So always apply the drowning analogy, especially in circumstances in which you're dealing with black tax and family responsibilities, especially in those circumstances, especially in circumstances where you're dealing with loved ones and dreams that may or may not be working out. Do not be afraid to say, Maybe, maybe, just maybe we need to build a muscle here before we, we, we indulge in an escalating commitment to a failed situation, otherwise known as sunk cost bias. The next analogy or the next thought um, is, is straight from the interview that I told you about earlier, which is the one between Stephen Bartlett and Mel Gibson, Mel, um, Mel Robbins, sorry, Mel Gibson between Mel Robbins and Stephen Bartlett. In it, they reference an ant experiment that's doing the rounds on TikTok. The ant experiment is an experiment in which people draw a pen line around an ant. And when you draw a pen line around an ant, it does not know that it can go over the line and it gets trapped. So if you put an ant on a piece of paper and you draw a pen or a, a line around it using a pen, it simply walks around in circles in this, in this thing, it just goes, walks around and walks around and walks around in circles. If you don't let it out, it will starve to death in there. It's so sad, but it also is reminiscent of a lot of us in life circumstances. We grow up, we get given a script by the people who know only as much as they possibly can in their circumstances. They give us a script to follow and a lot of us follow it blindly, so completely blindly. An interesting thing about this experiment is it was also tried with a spider. And as the people who are conducting the experiment with the spider were drawing, uh, you know, people like to torture animals. I don't know why, (laughs) but anyway, so they draw this circle around the spider and the spider is stuck. Then they make the circle steadily smaller and the the spider keeps scooting a little bit, scooting a little bit and, and, and confining itself to the smaller and smaller circle. But as they were drawing one of the circles, the spider accidentally stepped over the line and it realized that nothing happens when it steps over the line. After that, the spider could not be trapped anymore. No matter how many times they drew the circle around it, it now knew that it could go over it could go over the line and it would be okay this is the power of asking now and this is this is the power of asking why then this is the question that Stephen bartlett is at pains to get all of us to ask to push back on some of these doors that are close to us and ask why is this door closed what's behind there what's the thinking i work in a heavily regulated industry and that this industry has been regulated for decades I have only been in the industry a decade and in the last year I have asked why so many times and what you will find is usually you get an, an an offended reaction why because the regulatory authority said so but and I'm I would ask but why do they that say that where is it written right where is it written that they have that you have to do this where is it written that you have to do this and 9 times out of 10 I have managed to change the regulator's mind on something Or to save some money on an exercise that's been done for 30 years, and nobody has ever asked why this is done. But now that we're over the line, and this is the thing that happened, the first time, the first time I said that you probably can push back on this, I got a lot of skepticism. Mm -hmm, Yeah, yeah, you know, no, no, no. Oh, new, new broom sweeps clean. You know, wants to show that she, she knows something about something. Those things are both true right? I do want to to show something. I want to demonstrate something. That's what you do when you're with a new employer. But it was also true that you need to ask why. So once we asked why, and then we got back um, 68 million, I think it was, we got 68 million that didn't need to be tied up, paid back into our account. It was all of a sudden, what else can we get? What else can we move? So once you break that barrier, once you break your, once you break your confinement, Once you open your mind to the possibility that there may be other answers, once you ask yourself, how can I structure my marriage in a way that works for my partner and I specifically, because you can do that. You can set your own rules. It's not a community exercise, right? Once you decide, what can I do with my career that's unconventional, but looks like it could succeed? Like, why is this not an option? Check. It might be that the answer is no, but You have to know what underlies that no. You have to understand the rationale. And if you build up your muscle to ask why, you will be amazed, just like the spider, that you can put your little foot over and find that you don't die and you possibly get a better and great outcome. A a pastor a long time ago told a story while I was in church that also stayed with me and that's relevant now about a wife who liked to cook fish. So she gets married, her husband loves fish, um, and she loves to cook fish, so they're perfectly compatible. And every time she would cook fish, so they have this amazing kitchen, beautiful um, appliances, and beautiful crockery. And every time she would cook a whole um, a fish, she would cut it in half. And so her husband would say to her, you know, I really like a whole fish. Could you make my fish whole? And he would, she would say, no, 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 no my mom made it like this and my grandmother made it like this and they taught us that this is how you make fish and i think it tastes better this way anyway oh i see and he would eat it but this thing always bothered him so finally he meets his um so finally has a moment with his mother-in-law and he says to her mom um i've always wanted to know why do why do you why why does one have to cut fish when they're cooking it why do you need to cut it in half oh she says i don't know my mother taught me that's how uh, we've always cooked it and the flavor is better anyway and she he says oh okay cool and then he has occasion to sit with his um his grandmother in law and he says gran tell me why is it that when you cook fish you have to cut it what is it what is it and she says oh i used to do that because my pan was too small and i couldn't afford a bigger one and this is where <laughs> so many of us fail Where we inherit things and we inherit ideas and we never, ever ask ourselves, what was the rationale for this? Why did it work in those circumstances and does it still work in today's circumstances? Hmm. (laughs) On to the next one. The next one is, sure, this one has been hard for me because it's something I've been dealing with and confronting all of these things. I've told you that I've been struggling with with big decisions. But anyway, one of of the things that has come to me in this uh, past week is the idea that sometimes we engineer smallness in order to feel safe. Sometimes we engineer smallness in order to feel safe. We call it not taking risks. We call it I'm conservative. We call it that's not for me anyway. We call it not right now. We call it I'll do it later when things are better. We call it, ah, so many people have already done this. Why should I do this? So many people already have a podcast. Why should I start a podcast? Somebody else has already thought of this. I mean, so many people are writing books. Why should I write a book? Um, Who wants to read what I have to read to say anyway? We call it many things. We call it maybe I won't be able to make enough money to live. We call it so Many things. And in talking about this, or in talking about this idea, one of the examples that was used by, by Mel and Stephen was something. So Mel bumped into one of her followers in an airport, and they are a banker. And the banker says to Mel, please do an episode on making career changes. Because I am a banker. But I feel like my calling is to teach. But I just don't know whether this is something I can do or it's too high risk. What must I do? And Mel poses the question to Stephen. And Stephen said something that I thought was incredible in answer. He speaks of Bronnie Ware, who you might have heard of. She's a nurse a, palliative nurse, a palliative care nurse. So she takes care of people who are on their deathbeds. Or she took care of people who are on their deathbeds. And she subsequently wrote a book that focused on the regrets of the of the of the dying and she wrote this book because she found that most of the dying had the same regrets the top 5 regrets are featured on her website and they go something like this number 1 i wish i'd had the courage to live a life true to myself not the life others expected of me number 2 i wish i hadn't worked so hard number 3 I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Number four, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. Number five, I wish that I had let myself be happier. And what Stephen went on to illustrate using this was what the person who stopped um, Mel does not realize is that the biggest risk that we each run on a day-to-day basis is that we live this one life. And we wake up one day on our deathbed and we wish we had done it. We wish we had moved in the direction of our dreams. We wish we had laughed a little bit louder. And by that reasoning, it is the decision not to go for your dream. It's the decision not to follow through. That is the biggest risk, not the other way around. Now, understand this the decision to follow through doesn't mean break your entire life apart and run off in pursuit of your dreams. No, 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 no. Even Elizabeth Gilbert says this in Big Magic. She says seeking happiness or creative living is as simple as taking a step. You don't have to trash your entire life. So for example, this podcast has been my dream for a while and I didn't do it for many reasons. Like there are a thousand podcasts out there, maybe a million. I'm not sure. Every, the, the things I have to say perhaps have already been said. These are the fears that I had, right? What is it that I'm going to say that's new? Aren't other people specially trained to do this? Is there a special skill set that I need in order to do this? Where am I going to get that? Will I even have the time? And it turns out that A, this podcast makes me really happy. Number two, I didn't have to give up anything other than a couple of extra hours of sleep during the week. I didn't have to give up anything more than a little weekend recording time and a little bit of money to get a very basic recording kit from Take Lot. It just required me to start. It required me to create a little space for my dream within the life that I already have. I didn't have to break everything apart. And when we sometimes think about the things that would make us happy, the dreams that we would like to follow, we think of it in terms of all or nothing. We think of it in terms of if I make this decision, there is no coming back. This is it. No, 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 no. Jeff Bezos, according um, to Stephen, Jeff Bezos uh, in one of his letters to his investors said one time that there are two different types of decisions. Type one decisions and type two decisions. Type one decisions are one and done. It's a big life decision. And when you make that decision, you don't easily undo it, right? Those are very, very few. Most of our decisions are type two decisions. Those are the ones where you can walk through the door, decide you don't like this and walk right back out. Those are the ones where you can make a decision and then think, "Eh, I'm not a fan. And when you think about this banking situation, this lady has her banking qualification, has her bank experience. Nothing stops her from taking a couple of days off, visiting a school and saying to them, can I sit in in one of your classes so I can decide whether this is a profession I would like to follow? Nothing stops from nothing stops her from looking up how to study to be a teacher and seeing whether she can get some credits and things, trying to work out how much teachers earn and seeing how it relates to how much she's got. If she were to save money in this way or if she were to cut her expenses in this way, would she be able to achieve her dream, right? I say cut expenses, et cetera, because, teachers, um, because bankers in the United States earn a lot more than teachers do. But the point is, it's not crash your life into the wall today and run off into the sunset. The, the idea or the analogy of jumping off a cliff has made people think that it is really all or nothing in pursuit of your dreams. But you can build your dream during your off hours. You can build your dream a little bit at a time. You can create magic in your life without burning everything to the ground. And most decisions are type two decisions. You can make the decision and you can unmake the decision. You can walk through the door and you can then walk through another door. The decisions that are type one would be things like having a baby. You can't give the baby back. And there aren't many things that are in the same league as having a baby. There are so, so few. And when you're making a type one decision, you never have a hundred percent line of sight on what the outcome would be. You don't. And what Barack Obama said when he made the decision to send those two choppers to find um, Bin Laden was simply this, that it is once you've reached 50 plus one or 51 percent, of certainty in any direction on a type one decision. Make the decision because you will never have the 2020 vision of hindsight. And so many people spend a lifetime standing on the cusp of making a big decision, but waiting to be certain. There is no certainty coming. Just be as sure as you possibly can and then do it. And do not think of everything as all or nothing, burning to the ground or nothing, giving up everything and starting in the garage with nothing or nothing. There are so many options in between. And there's so much sense and sensibility in between. And we have so many bills to pay. Just be smart and you will create a beautiful life. You will create a beautiful life that has magic weaved in to the normalcy of everyday life. And the last thing I'm going to leave you with today was from Candice Brathwaite on Instagram. And she said, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I sometimes struggle with wanting to be liked and thinking, why don't those people like me? Why am I not likable to them? I want likability. And she said, that's the wrong focus. Some people will like you and other people will not like you but focus on being undeniably excellent. Focus on delivering. Focus on producing the best possible result for the people that you're working with every single time. And no matter who likes you or who doesn't, you will be undeniable. That's it for today's installment. I hope you enjoyed this and I hope it helped you as much as it helped me. And thank you for coming to our coffee date. If you like the episode, And if you enjoyed The Wealth Blueprint, please like, share, subscribe. Please leave a review if you can, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts. And share the podcast with a friend. The algorithm needs that to know whether to float my little podcast up to the top. And I truly appreciate everybody who's taken the time to do that. You can rate each episode specifically or you can rate the podcast as a whole, especially on Spotify. Um, Thank you so much and thank you for making this part of my dreams come true. I appreciate you so much. Have a beautiful week.